Let's stand as we read from Romans chapter 15. We'll read through this beginning of this section once again <clears throat> this morning, beginning verse 14. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. But I've written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. <clears throat> Paul wants them to realize that even though he exhorted them rather strongly, for example, in chapter 14 where he's talking about receiving one another and so on, not judging even though he's done that, it doesn't mean that he has a low opinion of them. <clears throat> Rather, because he is an apostle to the Gentiles, he feels a responsibility to help them in any way that he can. So verse 16, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, that my offering of the Gentiles might become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So he views his ministry as a spiritual offering up of the Gentiles, his converts, as living sacrifices to God. They're no longer unclean. That's the way the Gentiles were considered. You remember Peter had that vision. Uh, and he said, I've never touched anything unclean. And God's sending him to the Gentiles. And he says, God has showed me not to call any man unclean. And so the Gentiles, no longer unclean, but sanctified by the Holy Spirit. It says in Acts 15, God gave them His Holy Spirit just as He did us at the beginning, cleansing their hearts by faith. So they're sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And then verse 17 to 19, Therefore in Christ Jesus I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God, for I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached <clears throat> the gospel of Christ. So Paul spends some time here defending his apostleship, for the sake of these Roman Christians, many of whom don't know Him. And then verse 20 to 24, the verses we'll look at today. He says, Thus I aspired to preach the Gospel, not where Christ was already named, that I might not build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who had no news of Him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. For this reason I have often been hindered from coming to you, but now with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you, 
when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. Amen. You may be seated. Before we go into this new section, I just want to say a little bit more about verses 17 to 19. Uh, We saw last week that Paul spends some time defending his apostleship uh, for the sake of the Roman Christians. And the question might come up, what right do the Roman Christians have to question Paul's apostleship? Or for that matter, what right would anybody have to question his apostleship? And the answer is they had a right to do so, and not only a right, but they had an obligation because the whole New Testament teaches us to do that. The Lord Jesus Himself uh, in Matthew 7.15 says, Beware, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. They come to you in sheep's clothing. They look like believers. And he says, beware. And uh, a lot of people have the attitude, well, uh, don't you think I can see the difference between God and the devil? And they, uh, they take this lightly. But anytime Jesus warns us and says, beware, he's doing that for a reason. And a little later in Matthew, well, actually over towards the end, he says, See to it that no one misleads you, for many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Many people will be misled. Again, the Apostle John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many... False prophets have gone out into the world. Now that's quite a thought. They're not coming in from outside. They're going out from the church. Many false prophets. And then finally in Revelation 2, the risen Christ commends the church at Ephesus because they, quote, put to the test those who call themselves apostles. And they are not. And they found them to be false So there were, and think of this, think of the audacity of a man to pretend to be an apostle. But there were men going around who were claiming to be not only apostles, but super apostles. They said, don't listen to that guy. Paul, you know, he's sick. He's got some problem. If he had real power like we do, he'd be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And we looked at that some, and the whole idea of Paul defending his apostleship or giving a brief overview of his credentials uh, to these Roman Christians. Now, it's amazing. God wants us to test even apostles. And he wants us to test anything that claims to be a move of the Spirit. It, uh, it won't offend him to do that. In fact, he wants us to. And in this case, <clears throat> there were a number of people, as we'll see when we get to chapter 16, there were quite a few people who knew Paul. Uh, at Rome, so I don't think there was any real problem here, but nevertheless, he he gives a brief overview of his credentials. He tells them about how God uh, had used him to establish churches all about that region that we looked at last week in the map, and he had done that through his words and his deeds, through signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit, and most of all, through the powerful conversion of multitudes of people who 
knew nothing of Christ until they had met the Apostle Paul. <clears throat> and so God had borne witness to the validity of Paul's apostleship to the Gentiles. As he puts it in Second Corinthians, he says, Not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. And when God commends somebody, you remember there was one situation there in the Old Testament where the people kept grumbling and complaining and God would send one judgment after another. And finally he said, I'm going to finish this. What I want you to do is bring your rod in and leave it in the holy place. And the rod of the man whom I choose will sprout. And they came back the next day and here Aaron's rod had sprouted and had ripe almonds on it. And they're all holding a dead stick. Now, here's the thing. Paul, when he's appealing, when he's showing the reality of what God had done in his life, he points to this rod with ripe almonds on it. And that's what was happening throughout that whole region. God was establishing churches, saving people, doing wonderful things. And so God had certainly put his commendation on Paul's ministry. So today then, we come to verses 20 to 24, where Paul tells us more about his plans, his calling, and um, what God had called him to do. Verse 20 says, Thus I aspired to preach the gospel not where Christ was already named, that I might not build upon another man's foundation. So this is the first point. If you're keeping notes, the first major heading is Paul's calling was to be a pioneer in the gospel. He was what would be called a pioneer missionary in our day. And uh, I agree with Mason. I don't care for the word missionary because it conjures up a lot of ideas that are not scriptural. And because it's not a word found in the Bible, that's a good reason to be skeptical of something. Um, but um, it comes, I actually looked it up, it comes from a Latin word mean, meaning to send, and that's actually what the word apostle comes from in the Greek. So really, um, a lot of times, you know, we have this idea of mission. So you're sent out on a mission, uh, something to accomplish. Well... Um, that captures a little bit, but when you get to the word missionary, then you somehow we go into this religious realm and have all these ideas. But if you just think in terms of Paul being an apostle, he was once sent out pioneering, breaking into new <clears throat> territories. And so <clears throat> Paul was always pressing into new regions where Christ was not already named. Occasionally on campus, we have encountered students from other countries who have never heard the word Jesus, never heard the name Jesus at all, have no comprehension at all what Christianity is about. And I know um, over there in, in Bangladesh and in uh, Assam, John, you all probably ran, in that, ran into that all the time, basically. Uh, I assume that Dan's running into that in Lebanon. A lot. So, um, Paul constantly, think of this, Paul was constantly pressing into regions where he was going up to people who had never heard of Jesus at all. It's amazing. 
constantly. <clears throat> the regions beyond, he calls it there in Second Corinthians 10. And um, um, we don't have our slide this week, but you remember that vast region where Paul had ministered. I mean, and a lot of that on foot, uh, sometimes by boat, which was probably more dangerous, and had shipwrecked a number of times and so on. But that whole map that we looked at, that just gets up to the tip of Italy, where Rome was. Spain, Paul's wanting to go on over to Spain. He couldn't even get that on the map. Way on over there, he was going to press on over into those regions. So constantly pressing into new territory. We don't know if he ever made it to Spain or not. Uh, There's a couple little snatches from church history that might indicate that he possibly did, but it's not clear. But he was constantly pressing on and speaking to people who had never heard or spoken of the name Jesus. And this is how he describes it in this verse we just read. He he describes it as not building on another man's foundation. And you remember that he uses that same metaphor when he's talking to the Corinthians. He said, I, as a wise master builder, laid the foundation and another is building on it. So Paul was the apostle there at Corinth. He was the one that broke into new territory. And what a what a territory broke into at Corinth. I mean, it was like, as Ravenel says, it's like putting a wedding cake on top of a dunghill. I mean, he came into a terrible situation at Corinth, and God saw a church raised up and people saved through mighty working of the Spirit. And they had all kinds of problems, but the fact is they had all kinds of miracles or they wouldn't even have been a church. God saved a bunch of people and did wonderful things there at Corinth. So Paul had laid the foundation. He said another um, builds upon it. So here's the thing that we need to get. Some people read verse 20 where Paul describes his calling and his particular ministry, and they say that it ought to be everyone's calling and everyone's particular ministry. Uh, Everyone ought to constantly be moving into places where Christ has never been preached and the name of Christ is not named. That's not true. Paul realizes that he lays the foundation, but some people are called to build on the foundation. He acknowledges that. And uh, if everybody only spent time pressing into new regions, there would not even be a church at Corinth or a church at Rome. Everybody would have been scattered out into Spain or Africa or wherever. Uh, Multitudes are called to minister and witness where they are. In fact, if you think of many, many of these people that made up these churches were slaves, they didn't have the option to just drop everything and go. They were stuck. And... uh, uh, what God is wanting to do, in many cases, He'll use a man like Paul to raise to, build, to raise up a church to see a foundation laid. And it takes years for people to grow and for that church to affect that area. So, uh, if you're keeping notes, again, this is sub-point number one under this first one. Paul's calling was to be a pioneer in the gospel. Number one is 
not everyone's calling is the same as Paul's. And so that's the first thing to get. Secondly, uh, even though Paul was not called to minister um, and build on another man's foundation, that was not the only thing that he was called to do. He was not called to minister only in new lands. Uh, in general, he was not called to build on other men's foundations, but that did not mean that he would not try to build up churches that already existed. And this whole epistle to the Romans is an example of him building on another man's foundation. He hadn't started the church of Rome, but here he is seeking to build them up to minister to them, and he writes this long letter to the Romans for that very purpose. Back in the introduction in chapter 1, he says, I long to see you in order that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. So he's wanting to see them established and built up. In chapter or in verse 13, he says, I've often planned to come to you that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. And a couple of verses later, he says, Thus for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also. So being called to minister in the regions beyond does not exclude building up local churches whenever possible. Now, in application to us, it, there are some things that may not be our calling in ministry, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to do it sometimes and step out of our comfort zone. And there are things that uh, um, we can be used to do that are not our particular calling, but there's something that God wants us to do at that time. There's an opportunity. And it's stretching to us and it's upbuilding to others. So the second subheading is even Paul was not called to minister only in New Land. And the third one is this. This, all, this is all under Paul as a pioneer apostle. The third one is this. We may not have Paul's calling, but we can and must have a part in what Paul is doing. And you see that in verse 24. He says, Whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you. And uh, that phrase, uh, helped on my way, is full of meaning. Over and over, Paul talks in different places about being sent on his way or helped on his journey. Let me just read... Uh, one of them, and then I'll read one from John. John also describes this. Titus 3, 13 and 14, Paul says, Diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. So here are these guys going through, but we can have a part in their ministry by, quote, helping them on their way. And Paul, in other words, Paul was thinking of going to Rome as a base to launch out. And even though he hadn't started the church at Rome, it was going to be a base to launch him out into Spain. And they were going to provide him with whatever he needed. Who knows? But Third uh, John, chapter one, or chapter one, verses five to eight, John says it this way: "Beloved, you're acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren." and especially when they're strangers, 
and they bear witness to your love before the church. And you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God, for they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. So here's this very same type of thing. These men that are going out for the sake of the name, and they're accepting nothing of the Gentiles. They're not begging for money all the time. They're, not, they're, they're men of integrity. And he says, therefore, we ought to support such men. And that's the kind of people that you really want to give to, people that are like that. We ought to support such men that we may be fellow workers with the truth. Now, there's the idea, fellow workers with the truth. So those who stay can be fellow workers with men like Paul and have a part in the advancement of the gospel into regions beyond. How? By helping to supply the needs of the ones who go. And, um, and by praying for them. Paul brings that up a little bit later. Uh, they could help have a part in, in uh, Paul's ministry in Spain by helping him on his way, and it would have been wrong for them not to do that. So those who stay are responsible to support financially and to pray for those on the field. Well, you see, see this? Paul's call to go out into regions beyond. That doesn't mean everybody is. That doesn't mean that's all he does. But it also doesn't mean that we don't have any part in it. And so we are playing the part of supporting financially and in prayer. It's all it's scriptural. So that was the first uh, main heading. <clears throat> Secondly, Paul had a promise of success. Look at verse 20 and 21. Thus I aspired to preach the gospel not where Christ was already named, that I might not build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. Now this is from Isaiah 52, and I want us to just turn back there. We'll spend a little bit of time in Isaiah. Isaiah 52 And we'll begin reading in verse 7. This whole section right down into 53 is talking about the Messiah and the New Testament. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news. That's gospel. Who announces peace and brings good news of happiness. Who announces salvation and says to Zion, Your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices, they shout joyfully together, for they will see with their own eyes when the Lord restores Zion. Break forth, shout joyfully together, for the Lord has comforted you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed <coughs> Jerusalem. The Lord has bared His holy arm in the sight of all the nations. Now that's bringing in the Gentiles. Word for nations is the same word Gentile. 
that all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of our God. Alright, so why is Paul going out to Spain? You say, Paul, that's clear out on the ends of the earth. Well, he's going out there because God promised that all the ends of the earth are going to see the salvation of God. Depart, depart, go out from there, touch nothing unclean, go out of the midst of her, purify yourselves, you who carry the vessels of the Lord. But you will not go out in haste, nor will you go as fugitives, for the Lord will go before you, and the Lord and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Behold, my servant will prosper. This is talking about the Messiah, and it goes on here. This is one place where the chapter division was totally in the wrong place. Uh, for 53. My servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle the Jews only. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. So who's the he? It's Christ. What's it mean, sprinkle? Well, sprinkle with His blood. He will sprinkle many nations. Gentiles are going to be saved. Kings will shut their mouths on account of Him. For what had not been told them, they will see. And what they had not heard, they will understand. And then it goes on. Remember in chapter 53, He uh, bruised for our iniquities and so on. All we like sheep have gone astray. It's talking all about uh, Christ dying, uh, bearing our sins. So um, there is a promise here that Christ will sprinkle many nations with His blood and cleanse them from their sins. But specifically, it says kings will shut their mouths on account of Him. What had not been told them, they will see. And what they had not heard, they will understand. It's a promise that those, not only to the kings, but the people in their nations, that they will see and they will understand. You see that? It's a promise. So Paul says, I'm going out on the basis of these promises, knowing that my labors are not going to be in vain. When I go up there to Spain, some people are going to be saved. Wonderful promise. They will see and they will understand. <clears throat> and he laid hold of those promises and he knew just from the Old Testament that he was taking part in an enterprise that would not be in vain. You say, well, what about those missionaries that go out and die before they ever see any fruit? It's interesting. We um, we were just, uh, they, they had a video on of uh, Jim Elliott's daughter um, Valerie telling about uh, the work down there in South America. You know, uh, those missionaries were martyred, uh, Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and others. And um, you could say, what a waste. You know, they went down there, those guys didn't get saved, they just killed them. But then what happened was, a lot of you know the story, the wives, or well, in this case, it was Elizabeth Elliott. And Rachel Saint, who was a sister of Nate Saint, they went in there, and Valerie was a little, how old would you think she would have been? Four years old or five or something? 
just a little girl uh, went in there with her mother and lived with the Indians that had killed her father. And uh, there's pictures of, of her when she was a little tiny. She said she didn't, maybe she didn't realize how much was what had happened, but she wasn't afraid. But God saved. They kill these men. The, the, the wife goes in with her daughter and lives with them. And later, from the Indians that are converted, one of the men that killed the fathers baptized Nate Saint's son. So they're, they're saved, the people are saved there to the point where the son of one of the men who was killed is baptized by one of the men who's converted. You see, what's this saying? They will understand and they will see. God's giving a promise there. Not every one of them will. Multitudes won't, but some will. And the some that will will bring glory to God forever. If we have this idea, well, everybody in the whole place has got to be converted or it's a loss, that misses the whole point. He says, and Jesus gave this promise, didn't he? Other sheep I have right now, which are not of this fold, those are Gentiles, they also will hear my voice. See, they're gonna, they will understand, they will see, and there'll be one flock and one shepherd. Now, there are many verses like this in the Old Testament. I just want to look at one other passage, and if you just turn forward in Isaiah 66, I thought this one was, it's a little harder to uh, read through, but it's still, it's, it's so wonderful that, uh, we ought to read it. <clears throat> we don't spend much time in the Old Testament, maybe not enough. Isaiah sixty-six eighteen. He's talking about, uh, first of all, sending judgment upon Israel. He says, For I know their works and their thoughts. The time is coming. The time is coming to gather all nations and tongues. God says, I'm getting ready to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. And I will set a sign among them and will send survivors. Now, you have to read the whole context here, but he's talking about sending a sign among Israel, which I think was Christ himself. And he says, I will send survivors from them to the nations. So God's going to have some people that are left after He sends judgment on the Jews. He's going to have some survivors, some Jews who become Christians, like the Apostle Paul. And He says, I'll send survivors from them to the nations. That's Paul going out. And he lists some of these distant nations, Tarshish and so on. Uh, to the distant coastlands that have neither heard my fame nor seen my glory. God says, I'm going to send these survivors, the ones that are left over, to the distant coastlands, places like Spain and what have you, that have neither heard my, na- my fame or seen my glory, and they will declare my glory among the nations. Now that's what Paul was doing. He was declaring God's glory among the nations. 
Then they, that is these survivors that go out witnessing, shall bring all your brethren from all the nations. So there's going to be these people coming in from the nations are going to be called brethren now. The Gentiles are going to be converted and they're going to be coming. And they'll bring all your brethren from all the nations as a grain offering to the Lord. Now, have you ever heard that idea? The converts are going to be offered up as sacrifices to God. See, that's what Paul gets this stuff from the Old Testament. And he realizes, I'm going out. I'm one of those survivors who's going out proclaiming God's glory to the nations, and I'm going to bring them back to God as a grain offering to the Lord. Sanctified. They'll bring them from all the nations as a grain offering to the Lord on horses and chariots and litters on mules and on camels to my holy mountain Jerusalem Mount Zion that Mason read about this morning says the Lord just as the sons of Israel bring their grain offerings in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord I will also take some of them for priests and for Levites says the Lord For just as the new heavens and the new earth which I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so your offspring and your name will endure. And it shall be from new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all mankind will come to bow down before me. Not just Jews, but Gentiles as well, says the Lord. Um, you know, a lot of these prophecies, they're using the language of the situation that they're in. I mean, bringing people on uh, in wagons and horses and so on. But the, but the picture that we get is God's glory going out to the nations and the Gentiles being brought back as an offering to God. Same thing Paul was talking about. So Paul laid hold, back to Romans 15, Paul laid hold of promises like this. And they encouraged him and helped him as he endured all these things that he went through. And it wasn't just Paul that had these promises. We do too. I have other sheep and they will hear my voice. That's encouraging. So, that was the second point. Paul had a promise of success. Third point. Once churches were established in an area, Paul moved on. Now that's verse 22. He says, For this reason I have often been hindered from coming to you. It's been many years since we were back in chapter 1. So let me just uh, refresh your memory. Back in the introduction, Paul said this. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I plan to come to you and have been prevented thus far. Now, that's all he said. He didn't tell why. Now he tells why. For this reason, I've often been hindered from coming to you. Why? Because my work wasn't done here. I didn't feel liberty to come because I felt like I still had ministry to do here. But now, with no further place for me in these regions... I'm going to come to you. Now, you remember that massive map that we had? He said, there's no place left for me here. It's just too crowded. Reminded me of Daniel Boone, you know, elbow room. If you could if you could see the smoke from another man's cabin five miles away, you know, it's getting crowded around here. <laughs> and Paul, Paul says, there's no further place for me here. What's he mean? He had established 
churches in that area and got them to the place where he felt confident they were going to make it. And then he moved on. Now, um, he didn't stay in one place until the whole country was Christianized, and he just stayed until these churches were established firmly enough that he knew they were going to make it. And often it was just a small group of believers in a large area. And there's a big lesson in this for us. What is that? It was the responsibility of those who were left behind to finish the job. And Paul moved on. You think of the church at Corinth and the church at Ephesus. They had a big, they had big jobs ahead of them. And this gives a different feel about things. So, well, you know, they're going, they're going to go out. They've got a, they got a big task ahead of them going out. Well, what about the, what about the ones that are staying behind? And when you stop and think about that, it is, it's just as much our responsibility to be evangelizing here as it is those people that went out to be evangelizing where they were. Quite a thought. Our responsibility, if we're staying behind here in America, our responsibility is America. And uh, the fact that there's still so much need here doesn't say anything about whether or not people ought to continue to go out to new regions. They ought to. They must. Pioneers must go out, just like Paul did. Uh, if, if the church had waited until the Holy Land got Christianized, they'd still be in Jerusalem. But the point is, is to establish works that will then carry on the work of speaking to those around them. Not every, when it says all in Asia heard the word, it doesn't mean every single person. It means that there was a representative group who had heard the word. Pioneers must go out, but those who remain behind have the responsibility for what's left. And it doesn't look like we're doing too well in America. I mean, Iran is being evangelized and America is going down the tubes. So we have a, a big responsibility. May God help us to fulfill our calling here. But the point is, is that I can't say, well, it's nice that so-and-so went out way over there to the other side of the world. We'll send them money and we'll pray for them. I'm glad I don't have to do anything but enjoy life and make money. See, it's not like that. That wasn't the mindset when Paul went out and left those churches behind. All right, this is number four. This is the last one. The fact that our plans to serve God are sometimes thwarted doesn't mean that we've missed God or failed God. Think of that. Do you notice that in verse 23 and 24? He says, with no further place for me in these regions since I've had for many years a longing to come to you. That's amazing. Never had met them. Whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing, be helped on my way there by you when I first enjoyed your company for a while. Back in chapter 1 in the introduction, um, he had talked about how he had been praying for them and longing to come to them. <clears throat> he says, uh, uh, God knows how unceasingly I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests. If perhaps now at last by the will of God, 
I may succeed in coming to you. So amazing word. Not only that, but he planned to go to Spain to preach the gospel. He says here, uh, verse 24, whenever I go to Spain, sounds pretty confident, doesn't it? <coughs> Got the mind of the Lord. He knows what God wants him to do. And uh, he speaks of it as pretty certain. Well, if you know the book of Acts, you know that it didn't go the way Paul envisioned it. He did get to go to Rome, didn't he? He was in, in, in chains. And uh, that's the way he came to Rome. And the Christians from Rome came out and met him um, down that uh, Roman road that led up there. I think they came out something like 20, 23 miles or something like that to meet the Apostle Paul. But he came in chains. And uh, he was there under house arrest. And the book of Acts ends with him still under arrest. And so we don't know what happened. We don't know. Like I said, there's, it's, we're not certain that he never made it to Spain, but it, it's very possible that he never made it to Spain. And certainly, he didn't plan on coming to Rome in chains. Well, he must have sinned. I just, I, re, I just read a book yesterday where the guy went into detail of why Paul had sinned by going to Jerusalem and getting in the mess that he got into in Jerusalem. And you know, there's, um, there's different people. I've, there was one old preacher that uh, had a message on Paul's five mistakes or something like that went through the book of acts well i don't believe that the book of acts is an inspired account of stuff that we're not supposed to do because you never could figure it out what it was if you if it was that way paul says he says i know that bonds and imprisonment await me at jerusalem but he says i go bound in spirit he knew that he was and they said they tried to convince him not and finally they said well the will of the lord be done now that doesn't sound like somebody that's not in god's will but he knew he was supposed to go up there we we'll talk about that more later but the point is is just because we might have a plan that seems like the mind of god and something that is right in desiring to serve Him, and it totally gets turned around and thwarted and hindered, and it does not mean that we'd miss God. I mean, if it could happen to the Apostle Paul, it could happen to us, don't you think? And there's some really encouraging words in, in the Gospels about this. Let me read them to you. Mark 7.24, kind of an obscure verse. I really love it. It says, Jesus entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet He could not be hidden. Well, He must have missed God in that, you know. It didn't work out. He wanted to be hidden and He couldn't be. How about this one? Um, He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a lonely place and rest a while, for there were many people coming and going. They did not even have time to eat. And they went away in the boat to a lonely place by themselves. I think the apostles or the disciples are thinking, wow, you know, the master knows exactly what he's doing. He's taking us over here to get some rest. And what? And the people saw them going, many recognized them, and they ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. 
And when he went ashore, he saw a great multitude. And what? He felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. You see, the, the Lord Jesus was doing exactly the right thing. And he was perfectly in God's will, and God overruled it. It took away their time of rest, temporarily anyway, for a time of ministry. Um, what was true for him and what was true for Paul, how much more will be true for us. So we should not get discouraged when our plans to serve God don't work out. God always knows what he's doing and his ways are perfect. You think of Borden of Yale going over there uh, to the mission field, died before he ever made it to the field. And people looking on, well, you know, that can't be God's will. He must—he he shouldn't have ever even gone over there in the first place. It must have just been ambition. Just trying to be some kind of super spiritual. That's not right. He was in the center of God's will. Well, Paul's calling was to be a pioneer. He had a promise of success. And so do we. Once churches were established, he moved on, and those left behind had the responsibility to continue what he started. And finally, the fact that plans are thwarted doesn't mean that we're not in God's will. Well, Lord willing, we'll go on next time and uh, read about... <clears throat> what Paul was asking particular prayer for. He's on his way to Jerusalem to give a gift to the poor saints at Jerusalem. It seemed like the saints at Jerusalem were poor all the time. At least a lot of them were. I don't know why that was. But um, the Gentiles took up a gift for them. And that gift had special significance. I think that's probably why Paul felt so clearly that he was supposed to go. Uh, deliver it in Jerusalem. We'll look at that, Lord willing, uh, in the days ahead.